Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello everyone and welcome once again to Earth Destruction Directive. As always, I am your host, the man who does the most with the least, Luke Giaconetti, and welcome back to the show. This is a very special episode of Earth Destruction Directive, not only because we're going to be talking about uh, the legendary uh, Daikaiju fighter known as Ultraman, but I also have a special guest with me tonight. Everyone say hello to my guest, Mr. Bill Lomax. Uh, thank you, Luke. It's a great honor for me to be uh, with this guest. I feel like Chris Jarrett's almost the first uh, undisputed uh, podcast guest on our construction director, so I'm going to wear that title proudly. <laughs> I wouldn't call being on this show an honor, but uh, I'll, 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 take the, uh, I'll take the compliment anyway. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm still at the, uh, at the stage in my life where if people call me sir, they usually add, you're making a scene, you know? So. <laughs> uh, uh, I've heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so uh, anyone who's on the uh, two, on the uh, Earth Destruction Directive thread over on uh, the Two True Freaks forum is familiar with Lomax because he posts on it more than I do. Uh, so uh, Lomax, why don't you uh, give the listeners a little bit of your background and how you got interested in uh, Daikaiju and Tokusatsu? Well, I started when I was really young. Um, I live uh, in my grandmother's house, and then uh, right across the street, my uh, cousin uh, was really influential in getting into uh, Daikaiju. Uh, when we were kids, God, like four or five years old, we were watching a lot of dinosaur videos and whatnot. Camel kids, kids love dinosaurs. Right. So, um, that's kind of how it started. And then he started getting the VHS tapes of various, uh, Daikaiju stuff, uh, Godzilla movies and, uh, Gamma films. And we watched those all the time. I mean, some of the films that we had, we had, uh, I like the films that really made an impact on me was, uh, Godzilla vs. King Kong. Um, as a kid, you watch that, and you're just amazed, you know, at, like, you know, that, um, but Godzilla King Kong, um, Godzilla vs. Gigant, a big favorite of mine, um, we had the, uh, Godzilla 1985, Godzilla vs. Bio when those first came out, which I'm dating myself <laughs> <laughs> with that, you know, but, uh, so we're watching those, all along the Gamera films, and that's really where, uh, our passion came, and then I was always jealous, my cousin had, a. Uh, Vinyl Godzilla figure, like we had them when we do like a foot tall that we used to play with. Those are great to uh, you yeah. know fight with our GI Joes. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing too, so with our GI Joes and then that uh, Godzilla and Buffalo. Very <laughs> important in that as well. Yeah. And then like most kids, you know, growing up, I was in about second or third grade when Power Rangers hit, and uh, really, really big into the first, especially the first like two seasons of it. I was just really into it, and I remember being like I'd be at the hot for the Pink Ranger. Oh, yeah, yep. I still do, too. I mean, I've brought that out. You know, I'm always on YouTube and stuff looking for footballs on my shows. Well, you but, know, uh, the, the funny thing was that I will say, just to, just to interrupt you for one minute, is we all loved the Pink Ranger, but I, I gotta admit, I always had a thing for for Trini. Always had a thing for uh, Thuy Trang. You know, oh, uh, yeah, I, no, I'll do that too. I mean, she was, you know, she was, she was cute. She, she could kick butt. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was very, I was very uh, upset when I heard that that she had passed away. So that was, uh, that was yeah. a bad day yeah, for the was... Power Ranger fandom. Mm-hmm. 
And so I listen to that for a while. But like anything, I've got a lot of other interests, you know, for all wrestling. Got really, really big in the Batman, you know. You know, I was not a bandwagon jumper like all of these fans today. Mm-hmm. I jumped on the bandwagon in 1992 when uh, Batman Returns yeah. came out. <laughs> That's all I was like to say. So, yeah, I was into that. And so, um, and basically, it just kind of disappeared for, for a while there. I was still interested every time AMC would show them. I mean, I watched them and whatnot. You know, I love that. And then I was also a real, real big fan of Bob Corbett the first time I saw that, mm-hmm. which was a British uh, Daikaiju um, film. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. I recommend it. And like anything else, I kind of drifted away. So there really wasn't much out there. You know, and I'm getting older and whatnot. And then I started getting older, and then I started going to my first comic shop uh, around 99, 2000. It was a shop in downtown Wolfsburg, Pennsylvania called uh, Phoenix Comics. It recently closed, but uh, I used to go to my first comic shop. And the guy that was in there, he was also, uh, he was big into the resin kit models, mm-hmm. and uh, his big thing was uh, the Godzilla monsters, all the Kaiju monsters and whatnot. I used to go in there, and that's when I got my first taste of a little fanzine called uh, G-Fan. Yeah. I picked up a bunch of issues, and I remember reading it and just being like, oh my god, then you can read that film, you know, and it was shortly after uh, that film 2000 came out of high school, I remember um, going down there because uh, at a local summer program, it was a college prep program, and uh, the campus we were staying on was right in downtown Wester, mm-hmm. and um, I would go there, and I would stop there, and I'd pick up, uh, I'd look to the college and whatnot, and I really wasn't I was in the comics, but I didn't know what yet. I was just getting back into them. So I read them a little bit in the mountains, but I was never, you know, I was more of a casual fan. So I would go there, and I saw this Jesus, this uh, G-Fan, I'm like, I have to pick this up. And so I did, and then I was reading about these movies that were making, Godzilla vs. Mega Mega Jiris. Mm-hmm. I was called, I always thought it was Mega, I guess, I always thought it was Mega America. I don't know why. That's <laughs> kind of how I always pronounce it. And then when I heard it's Mega Jiris, I'm like, oh, well, that makes better sense. But yeah. so that, uh, Tokyo SLS and that kind of just sucked me back in. Yeah. And when um, I started getting on the podcast and uh, found the freaks around the 2008 2009, and then um, once I, um, I realized you started doing a show, I knew that stuff right back in. Yeah. It was like I, I call it the boomerang effect. You're into it as a kid, you kind of leave for a while, and then when you come right back to it, and right. that's kind of what happened. So. I've been slowly amassing my collection. I have pretty much almost all the Godzilla films. I think the only one that I haven't gotten around to getting yet was Final Godzilla. So looking for a cheap price on that. And since I'm done with that, I'm like, well, what's next? Well, I thought it was Gamma. So now I got the Gamma films. And then I kind of like I have an OCD. <laughs> well, you know, I just and again, uh, anyone who's, who's on the forums, you, you see it's, uh, well, Max will make a post. Okay, I ordered this from Amazon. Okay, yeah. it's from Amazon. Okay, or this or this. I used the two true freaks link, so it's okay. It's yeah, <laughs> I just, dude, I just the other day I just dropped uh, because um, I've been working a lot of hours at my job, and uh, the thing is um, getting towards Christmas, so I can cash in my paid time off hours. Mm-hmm. And I never took any vacation, so I got like a hundred and eighty hours. So that's yeah, I'm okay. That's uh, quite a nice chunk of change, you know, for a bonus. Yeah. So I'm probably I'm gonna put some of it in my bill, so I gotta be responsible. But then after that. Um, I already ordered about two hundred and sixty dollars worth of uh, science in between Gotcha Man DVDs <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's like it's almost like a drug dealer because when I first got I got the first eight volumes they're cheap because they were right. the first mass produced after that because um, ABV went belly up getting that it's it's ridiculously astronomical you yeah. know 
but it was just not at me. It's like, I got I to see the rest of the gotta series. Get it. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I mean, and you know the other thing about, you mentioned the boomerang effect, and uh, uh, this this to me is why eBay stays in business, you know, because it's all the oh. things that we, we loved as a kid when we were reliant on other people to get us stuff, and, and now mm-hmm. we're old enough, we have jobs, and we have disposable income. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's all right there with a buy it now on it, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, tonight we're going to be talking about, as I said at the top of the show, uh, Ultraman. And uh, if you're listening to Earth Destruction Directive, you probably have a good idea who Ultraman is. Uh, but let me just give a, a quick breakdown for someone who might have come in late. Ultraman is a Japanese tokusatsu TV show, first aired in Japan in 1966. Ultraman was a follow-up to the earlier uh, Subaraya TV show, Ultra Q, uh, which was aired in a couple of, it was a year before. The show was produced by Tokyo Broadcasting Systems and, as I said, Subaraya Productions, uh, whose president, of course, was Eji Subaraya, who did all the special effects for the early uh, Godzilla films and other films Toho did. And it was broadcast on Tokyo Broadcast Systems starting July 17, 1966, and ran until April 9, 1967, with a total of 39 episodes. Now, the earlier show, Ultra Q, was a lot like kind of a prototypical version of the X-Files. Each week there'd be basically a miniature Daikaiju movie. Uh, you know, the heroes would show up and find a monster, and then the monster would go on a rampage and they'd find some way to defeat him. It was like a little TV show version of what you might see from Toho or Dai at the cinemas. Yeah, first time I saw that, I remember um, it was in the issue of Jeep and had an article about it, and I, every time I think of that show, I think of Giant Walrus in the Sky. <laughs> <laughs> Giant walrus in the sky with diamonds. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, and what's also funny about that Ultra Q and, and that you don't realize it sometimes is that several monsters that show up in Ultraman are from Ultra Q. Uh, the most blatant of which is the monster Ragon. And when Ragon shows up in Ultraman, they talk about, oh well, the last time he showed up, we did this, and he was vulnerable to this. And and if you've never seen Ultra Q, you're like, well, how the hell do they know that? <laughs> Never let a good costume go to waste. That's pretty much their motto. No, just just put just put a new head on it and spray paint it. That's pretty much. You you mean the I mean the Ultra series is the reason why Baragon never made it into another movie besides uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World. They reuse that suit so much on Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, or just take your old Godzilla costume, throw a the little thing on it, and call him Jiris. That works too. Everybody loves Jiris. Yeah. Now, uh, the Ultraman, the show, changed the format from Ultra Q by adding the hero Ultraman, who was an alien uh, from M78 Nebula. And uh, he stayed on Earth to fight the monsters every week so that we got an actual, uh, you know, confrontation. Uh, now, Ultraman had many powers, including various beams that he could shoot and the ability to fly, but he had a weakness as well. He can only stay in Earth's atmosphere for three minutes, as indicated by the color timer on his chest. The color timer would start out solid blue, but then start flashing red. And if the color timer ever went completely out, Ultraman would never rise again. And if you forgot that, they, they the narrator reminded you every episode that if the every color episode. <laughs> Uh, now, Ultraman was a huge hit and spawned many sequels and follow-ups. This included uh, its immediate follow-up, which was called Ultra 7, which, if anything, is more popular than the original Ultraman. 
uh, we continue on with shows like Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Tara, Ultraman Leo, uh, all throughout what is uh, commonly known as the Showa era, and then would be revived in the uh, Hesai era in the early 90s uh, with the show Ultraman Tiga and its follow-ups, Ultraman Dinah, um, I'm blanking on some of the other ones, <laughs> uh, Ultraman Gaia, and uh, there was a few others in there as well. Like Max, uh, Max and, and Mavis, and then there was Ultra 7X, and, um... Oh, yeah, I think there's so many. There's so many, and, and the yeah. thing... And you know the interesting thing about the Ultra series, and, and I think this speaks to the dedication of the Ultra series fan as opposed to fans of other tokusatsu shows. Uh, you look at any two Kamen Rider shows, okay? Let's take... Common Rider and Common Rider Black. Okay, the two heroes of those shows are similar enough that you can say, okay, I can see how they're both Common Riders, but they're different enough that you can readily identify them. Now, every single Ultra Hero, they all have the same colors. They <laughs> they all look roughly the same. They all have roughly the same powers, and they're all you know they all fight with roughly the same style. So I guess they're all big Ohio State University fans. Oh, they love it. Yeah, they, they, you know, they, they set up a deal once with Subaraya to get him to dot the I in the Buckeye. It's, it just, you know, didn't, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he crushed three players from Michigan. But um, So it, it, it gets to the point where when you've got a large gatherings of them, like in a lot of the uh, modern Ultraman movies, um, you, you know, uh, Ultraman Saga was the, the latest one. You get a lot of these ultra heroes together, and it's like you need to be—you you almost need a program to tell some of these guys apart because they look so similar and their colors are so similar. And uh, you know, when when Ultraman Tiga was introduced, they started introducing blue to the suit, and it's like, oh, okay. And then everybody added blue to the suit, so that didn't really help, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, outside of Japan, uh, Ultraman uh, starred in a. Um, a show that was produced in Australia, which aired in the United States, as well as a show that was produced here in the U.S. that never actually aired in the U.S. Nah. <laughs> which, which may not be uh, such a bad thing because that um, that's uh, Ultraman uh, powered. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought of pilot. Yeah, not not, not the best. And the funny thing about Ultraman powered is uh, during the fights, none of the suits were allowed to touch each other because the suits were that fragile. Wow. <laughs> and, and in fact, I think at one point, Telesodon swings his tail around into a building and nothing happens, which uh, is, <laughs> it's, it's just funny to me more than anything else. Yeah, that's kind of a problem when your Ultraman suits are that brutal, you can't fight with it. I mean, you got to do some real, real good riding to dance around that. <laughs> and, and you know, a lot of the modern Godzilla movies are, uh, not modern, I should say, like the millennium era Godzilla movies are knocked for being just beam fights. It's like, this took that to a whole new level, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also got uh, some animated projects, including the American uh, animated uh, Ultraman. Uh, well, it was a film, and it was produced by Hanna-Barbera, interestingly enough. Um, unfortunately, Han uh, Ultraman never showed up on Space Race, which would have been, you know... <laughs> all, I, all I really care about that show, Adrian Barbo. Yes. Yes, we, we do love Adrian Barbeau here on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, if you've ever, uh, if you listen to our Escape from New York episode on the Vault of Starting Monster Horror Tales of Terror, you'll, you'll know that. Yeah, I got two big reasons why I love her. <laughs> oh! Is that like Tom Servo who's got a big thing for Kim Cattrall? <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, at the end of the day, uh, Ultraman remains a pop culture icon in Japan, and has had countless toys, games, video games, and other merchandise made featuring him. He is a tokusatsu legend, and one of the most enduring characters of the genre, right up there with Godzilla and Gamera, usually named as the big three characters of Daikaiju. Yeah, I put them on my uh, Mount Rushmore of Japanese pop culture. Him, Godzilla, Astro Boy, and uh, Hentai Tentacle Monster. <laughs> one of the all, we, all younger fans, don't Google that last one, please. Yeah, D- Google Astro Boy. That, that, that one's worth checking out. Yes, it is. Very much so. <laughs> you know, I always thought Astro Boy would make a good crossover with Gigantor. Oh, dude, I would... I just dropped, uh, you don't even know how much money to get the uh, original uh, Astro Boys and the original Giganta, so yes, that would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, we're, tonight we're going to talk about the first two episodes of Ultraman and just uh, you know give everybody a taste. Now, um, uh, these are available on DVD. Uh, Mill Creek Entertainment has put out a, a four-disc box set with the entire series, including um, uh, the dubs from when the show was broadcast in Hawaii in the late 60s as well as uh, the Japanese language track with subtitles very attractive little package if you can find that definitely pick that up so uh, we're gonna jump right into it the first episode of Ultraman is called Ultra Operation Number One and had the subtitle Space Monster Benular appears our story opens with two spheres chasing each other in space there's a blue one and a red one it's all very abstract and uh, as the the spheres chase each other around the cosmos they are um, being followed by uh, a man man we learn is named Hayata who is part of the science patrol in the science patrol VTOL and he's chasing them uh, reporting their positions back to science patrol headquarters uh, Fuji the radio operator and uh, Captain uh, Muramatsu excuse me now they both all both spheres head into the Earth's atmosphere, and the blue sphere heads towards a lake where a series of campers spot it and are unable to take a photograph of it before it submerges itself beneath the waters of the lake. The red sphere, however, continues to fly and ends up colliding with Hayata's VTOL, crashing it to the ground in a fiery explosion. Hayata appears dead, floating in a weird vortex world where he speaks with the giant hero Ultraman, who tells him that he is an alien from M78 Nebula, and that he was chasing the monster Bemular. He was about to put him into what he calls the Grave of Space, but Bemular made a break for it, and so Ultraman had to chase after him. He says that he wants to stay that he wants to stay on Earth and fight, and he says that because of he feels sorry for causing Hayata's death, the two of them will share the same life and the same soul and that when he is in trouble, he needs merely to use the Beta Capsule, and Ultraman will be able to help him. The Science Patrol goes to the lake and begins searching for Hayata, although they're not holding out much hope, because they haven't been able to find anything. They hear from the campers and the local police about uh, how Hayata's body seemed to merge with the Red Sphere, but they kind of play it off, and not really believing it. Meanwhile, back at base, uh, Fuji and annoying little guy Hoshino uh, receive a call from Hayata proving that he's not dead. And he, uh, Hayata asks that uh, Hoshino bring the submarine S-16 out to the lake. And so Fuji uh, um, obliges, much to captain, the captain's uh, confusion and consternation, saying that it must have been the ghost of Hayata that she heard. But then Hayata shows up in a speedboat and everyone is willing to accept that he's alive. 
Hayata takes a submarine and goes underwater where he pesters uh, Bemular, shooting him with torpedoes. While he's doing that, the uh, Lesser the Science Patrol are in the VTOL firing missiles at uh, Bemular every time he surfaces. Finally, Bemular has had enough of this and bites the sub in his mouth and shakes it around. He comes ashore and finds him flinging the submarine to the ground and then blasting it with his beam, uh, setting all the uh, woods around it on fire. Desperate and wounded, Hayata pulls out the beta capsule and holds it alight, and then he turns into the giant hero Ultraman. Ultraman battles Bemular, including spitting him around and then pressing him over his head and slamming him back into the lake. Bemular knows when he's licked and transforms back into his sphere to try and make a getaway, but Ultraman uses his specium beam to destroy the sphere and the monster Bemular. Back at the science patrol, they wonder where Hayata went to, and Hayata quickly shows up, saying that uh, he saw Ultraman save the day. And uh, their narrator helpless, helpfully informs us that Hayata and Ultraman are now one, and they will defend the Earth from all monsters. And that is the first episode of Ultraman. So what do you think, Mr. Lomax? Well, uh, first thing I want to know, you can definitely tell that this show is quality. I mean, it has almost a film-like quality to it. I mean, um, I mean, yes, um, the effects are very, very good. So, um, especially, you know, you got to, you know, take into consideration that it's you not know, like a TV budget, smaller budget. But, um, you know, like I said, um, Subaraya has a good knack for getting the most out of what he has. And, and one thing I liked is that there are some kind of standard Subaraya effects thrown in here. Uh, mm -hmm. When when Bemular is in the lake, we get the the beams of light shooting out of the lake, and then the the rapidly uh, the roiling water. Mm -hmm. We would I mean that I mean that shows up how many times in the Godzilla series? You know, it was a, a very uh, simple effect, but it, it looks very good, and it's uh, it, it's you know at this point it's Daikaiju shorthand. We know when the water starts roiling like that, it's like uh oh, monsters coming to the surface, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that was uh, and that that was a nice touch, and I do uh, I do agree. It's it's very clear the even for again for a show made in 1966, the the money is there, you know. Um, I I always make the comparison of Ultraman for Japan like Doctor Who is for the United Kingdom. You yeah, know, that's a good comparison. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both long-running science fiction shows with numerous versions of the hero fighting uh, numerous popular monsters and aliens. And, and again, like Doctor Who, um, you know, it's the best you could do on a TV budget. Now, speaking personally, I think that the, you know, Ultraman gets more for its money than Doctor Who from this era, uh, around this era does, just for, one, the fact that it's in color the entire time, and two, I think Subaraya is better at making monsters than just about anybody else working at, in 1966, so, you know, it, it's, um, it's all up there on the screen to see. They certainly don't imply anything. They show you everything in this show. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, Ultraman. I think it was it was almost the first to have a show um, to be in color. I think there's another show that beat it by like a week, but um, it got to be more popular to do. The first time in my research, I don't remember the show offhand, unfortunately. But oh, what was it? it? Was Mirror Mask, wasn't it, or something like that? Or uh, I don't know. Well, I think it was that Red Ninja. Oh, yes, um, yep. Yeah. yeah, I think that was, yeah. Um, just an interesting, right at the beginning of the show, before the opening uh, song, the um, it's actually the Ultra Q logo, and then the Ultraman logo blasts through the Ultraman, the Ultra Q logo, that linking the two series together. I always thought that was a, a neat touch. 
Yeah, I, I love the opening credits too, where it just has the shadowy outlines of the various monsters mm-hmm. and characters on the show. Yeah. I always, I always felt Apple missed out on a marketing opportunity to throw that iPod commercial because um, <laughs> Japan had uh, like Ultraman and Red King and all them uh, with, like, you know, dancing with the uh, iPod. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, we're introduced very quickly to the Science Patrol, and ev- pretty much every Ultraman show, with with a few exceptions, would have a variation of the uh, what's generally known as the Monster Attack Team, or the Ultra Garrison, or you know whatever you want to call them. And one thing I've always liked about the Science Patrol is they're uh, especially s- uh, spiffy orange uniforms. Oh, they have a tie. And it's very professional. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and and uh, I, I, what's very strange in this episode, and I had forgotten about this, is that you know we get the captain's name and we get Fuji's name and we get Hayata's name, but Ide and Arasha are not named in this episode. No, no, we have to wait till the next episode. Yeah, and wait till the second episode. But they're, I mean, they're they're front, they're and they're not really very much of a character either. I mean, Ide is usually so broad of a comic relief character. He's just shaggy on the show. He's like shaggy from Scooby Doo. Yeah, <laughs> he's Shaggy or he's Konchan from uh, Gamera vs. Guren, if you prefer. He's <laughs> I also like the uh, they show off their little quick change where they can change out of their uh, their. Suits. Yeah, they must be wearing like their suits must be like those uh, basketball fairway clothes. <laughs> there's no way you can get you know change that fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, a couple other things that are say we. I mean, all the the. The tropes of the show are introduced here. The beta capsule obviously makes its first appearance here. Yeah. Um, and the I, the beta capsule and or just the the transformation device in general is um, it's some of the ephemera of of the Ultra series. You know, and in, in, in this this tran- this transfers to other Tokusatsu shows as well. You know. Uh, yeah. Fuck it, fuck it, Common Rider. Ultraman did it first. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, even well, you know, even with Common Rider, you know, it took a while for them to get a true Henshin device. You know, right. uh, he would just kind of jump and then turn into him. Um, what's always amazing to me is that you get the um, uh, and and I'm not and please please don't uh, misunderstand me, folks. I'm not I'm not ripping on fanboys for Toke for uh, Super Sentai or Common Rider because I'm a fan. No, we love that stuff too. We love that stuff too. But you get um, you get some of these these kids who watch, and I say kids in a and I mean that literally because you know they're they're half my age. I can call them kids that uh, go on the fan sub forums and stuff, and and they're obsessed with the Henshin devices for the Common Riders and the the Super Sentais. You know, and it's like, eh, you know, I don't I'm not walking around with a Beta capsule in my pocket, guys. I'm just saying. You know, uh, I, I heard this, uh, I was on a, watching a YouTube clip and I read the funniest comment. I was dying laughing. Some kids said that he was so into Ultraman as a kid that uh, he used his, his tampon applicator for his beta capsule. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying when I read that. He said he did that as a kid. He was so adult. And I was like, just, oh my God. It's so wrong and yet so right at the same time. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, all, all the all those commer- all those feminine hygiene products commercials now are just going to take on a whole new context for me. Might as well just endorse them. You endorse, you know, Ultraman endorses everything else. I mean, you know, see the commercials I put out. Why not? He really does. He really yeah. I would, does. I would not expect anything less from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I um. 
Uh, let's see. Another and less less regarded aspect of the uh, of the show that would be introduced was the character of Hoshino, the annoying kid character. He's basically like Spidal from uh, Speed Racer. Yep. Yep. Just think a little uh, monkey companion and yeah. back in the car. And you just want to smack him, you know? It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just like shut up, you know. <laughs> oh, they were, you know, I mean, annoying kids are all over. You know, you watch Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just. I guess well, you gotta have the kid element to get the kids, you know, and all that. Yeah, and and you know a. Uh, a friend of mine, um, she she was a big Gamera fan, and uh, and we've we've kind of lost touch over the years. But I remember she asked me, she she postulated a theorem once that in Japan people obviously uh, aged backwards because anytime there was a crisis situation, they would ask the youngest person in the room what they thought they should do. Oh yeah, and the oldest was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know I know there's school system in advance over there, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh man! Um, we also get the uh, first glimpses of the VTOL and the S16 submarine, which I, I really like, and and I think this is uh, one of the uh, elements that's appealing about this show. That un- unless you start really watching the Ultraman shows, you don't necessarily think about. Because we think about Ultraman, obviously we think of our you know our Ultra Hero and the monsters, but this really was kind of a a very broad science fiction show, and so the hardware, the mecha. Used by the Science Patrol, uh, you know th- this was this was uh, just as popular as like the TARDIS would be again to make the Doctor Who connection again, mm-hmm. and uh, the V the the submarine doesn't show up as much, but the VTOL is in every single episode of the show. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember when I put up that episode of uh, Sci-Fi Japan TV on the forum, which I recommend everybody watch because those interviews and those uh, short little features are awesome. Mm-hmm. But when they had the, uh, the uh, Ultraman, uh, no, I think it was the Tokusatsu uh, Museum, and they had the people and the sub and uh, the Ultraman flying model on display, and I was just in my cabin, I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat. And, yeah, again, it's, for a television budget, it looks pretty good. I mean, it's, on DVD, I've, I've said this before, DVD affects probably too much clarity for the genre of Daikaiju. Mm-hmm. You know, and so they they do look a, a little a little chintzy now, but it's like I don't care, man. If I, you're a little kid watching that, that's just all. Oh, that's so cool, you know. No, you just accept it working all. Yeah, you do. No, you just enjoy it for what it is. Exactly. You know, you don't look, you know, you don't look into deep, you know, what it is. You, you know, you don't put it, you know, modern. Yeah. You know, um, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, and and the the S16 actually does get. Uh, one of the most iconic images for uh, the monster in this episode, Bemular. And Be- Bemular is, he's moderately popular, I think mostly because he was the first. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of Bemular. I not only have, I have a, a, a plush Bemular, it's about six inches tall, was uh, the band, pre- uh, for the anniversary, the 30th anniversary of Ultraman in 1996, Band Presto put mm-hmm. out a hundred mini plush uh, uh, Ultra Monsters, oh. and I have uh, I have Bemul. I also have Gesera because those are two of my favorites from uh, from the ori- from the original series, and yeah. and and uh, I also have there is a oh I'm gonna blank on his name too, and I better look this up. There's a oh, I met a I was at Heroes Con this past year, and I met a artist whose name I'm gonna look up because I'm gonna forget it and I'm gonna screw it up, and he does a web comic called Monster Isle. 
Yeah. And uh, and he's a he was a really cool guy, and we got to talking about it, Destruction Directive, and he actually made me a sketch of Bemular drawn in his kind of cartoony style. And uh, it's and it's wonderful. I really do love it. I've got it, um, and it's like because I, I remember we had a whole comp we're having a conversation about Ultra Monsters while he's doing it, and he just stops halfway and he looks at me and he goes, "Does Bemular have a tail?" <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I don't know. And I had to think about. It. I was like, yes, I think he does have a tail. So yeah, yeah, because he grabs him the one part starts spinning him around. Yes, and um, and and you know what? That that's another thing. But the, uh, the the image I'm talking about, of course, is when uh, he puts the um, Bemular puts the sub in his mouth, mm-hmm. and and that's just uh, to the point that uh, uh, I think it's Kotobakuya has a a uh, a bust of Bemular that's just his head, yeah. and um, so and you have and there's a you can actually they come with the the submarine piece that you can put in his mouth. That's awesome. No, I yeah, I thought that was that was great. And there's another point I want to bring up with this show is um, because of the uh, design of the Ultraman suit and whatnot, it's very form-fitting, very gamer-related, whatnot. You get a lot more action than you get sometimes when you have two monsters, you know, complicated, heavy suits. Yes. Um, because you know, Ultraman can really move around and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Greco-Roman-style wrestling and throws and throwing guys and judo chops and mm-hmm. there's a lot of all the ground and ground and pound and nothing monsters and it's just it, it's it's a lot more fast paced than like sometimes you get with like the other monster movies. Yeah, yeah, and uh, um, Subaraya, I want to say was Subaraya or maybe it was maybe it was Susume Karube who played Ultraman and I'm and I'm drawing a blank. One of them uh, had actually uh, done judo in in school. Judo is uh, much like in high school here in the states. You might do uh, wrestling as a sport. That's the way judo is in Japan. And yeah, judo and um, I love the other one with the um, sword play and all. Oh, um, um, but that, I know that's popular over as well. Yes, um, high school now. Uh, so the so they were interested in in showing a realistic fighting style because he was humanoid, and so that was you know, so again, like you say, there's a lot of grappling. I love, always love. Uh, Ultraman's fighting hunched over stance because it's a realistic yeah. sort of fighting stance, you know. Yeah, it's like he's getting ready to shoot in for take. And and what's also uh, very neat, um, there is a a uh, there's a very popular line of super articulated toys uh, that Bandai puts out, which is called SH Figure Arts. And the oh, SH, God. I don't even want to look at them. I can't afford any of them. Oh my God, I I have one. I got a. I got Common Rider one, and I got it for thirty bucks. And I was like singing praises to the Daikaiju gods, getting <laughs> yeah. it so cheap. Uh, now these are the the SH Figure Arts are typically only for humanoid. Excuse me, human sized characters. So the Super Sentai uh, heroes, the Common Riders, the foes they fight, things like that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, for Ultraman, Bandai has a line called Ultra Act. And Ultra Act has similar posability and swappable hands and such, like the figure arts, but they're taller. They're about six inches tall. And on now, I have always loved that on the Ultra the Ultra Act figures, you can in fact they're posable enough and flexible enough that you can stand the Ultra heroes in their proper fighting stances. And uh, and what's also interesting, if you get them in their proper fighting stances, they're just about in scale with the Bandai uh, vinyl Ultra monsters. 
Oh, that's awesome. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and uh, the artist whose name I couldn't remember, Joey Weiser. Uh, if you go to tragic-planet.com, you can check out his comic Monster Isle, which is an absolute hoot. It's uh, very funny and obviously takes a lot of inspiration from from Ultraman for some of the monsters. And uh, and I'll I'll try and scan the the sketch and put it up on on the either with the show notes or on the forum because it's just a great little picture of Bemular. Um, I think I put up the plushie before, and you know we were talking again about the 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 fight between uh, Ultraman and and Bemular. And you're right, I, there's just so so many great little moments in here. The giant swing where he grabs him and spins him around makes for a great animated GIF. I'd also like to say, and uh, and then the gorilla press, you know, just pressing him above his head and then just throwing him. And, oh, yeah. I mean that. As a, as a wrestling fan, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, no, me too. Yeah, definitely. And again, this was something that. You know, uh, I mean, this is this is '66, so we've had quite a good number of versus movies coming out of Toho at this point. You know, we've had uh, Godzilla raids again. We had King Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus the Thing. Uh, you know, Gear the Three-Headed Monster and and Monster Zero. And you know, we've never seen you know a monster press another one over his head or spin him around like that. You know, it's uh, it, this this was this was kind of broadening the horizon of of monster combat. You know. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, and then of course the 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 specium beam, the uh, you know the absolute uh, most iconic uh, image of of Ultraman crossing his arms and schwa and firing the beam. No, oh, yeah, we. I thought I was first gonna get into a schwa. Schwa. I I love that on the uh, on the Mill Creek DVDs they actually subtitle Schwash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad. I get the correct, correct pronunciation. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotta love that. And uh, yeah, and you know, it's uh, you gotta love a first episode that not only introduces us to the basic premise, shows us how the show is gonna work, but is also a lot of fun and a good episode on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you take out the stuff about uh, Hayata and uh, and Ultraman becoming one. And you've basically got any episode you want of Ultraman. An alien comes to Earth, it causes some trouble, you know, the Science Patrol investigates, things go south, Ultraman shows up, we get a fight. He's only got three minutes. Yeah. Like, I, I question that, I've watched some episodes, I'm like, I don't know, it's kind of like the old Royal Rumble, uh, you know, they say it's 60 seconds, but if you actually take a stopwatch, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, I tell you what, it, it's it's perfect from an economy standpoint because if I was saying this to my wife, I was I was watching Ultraman earlier, and um, and uh, and she asked me something. I said, well, I'm almost done with this episode. I said, Ultraman has shown up, and she goes, what do you mean? I go, well, since he can only exist in Earth atmosphere for three minutes, you know, when he shows up, the show is almost over. And it's like that way you can have a you know a 25 minute episode, and you know you don't have to show the expensive stuff, which is the monsters fighting. For only but a couple of minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's it, it's little things like that. It's like, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's it's a gimmick, but it works, you know. Yeah, the whole premise reminds me of like old sixty four whenever he lost his hammer, he only had sixty seconds to pick it up, and he turned into Donald Blake or uh, Iron Man with uh, rather low batteries in his suit. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I have a complete run of Iron Man, and it all even even reading, uh, you know, essential Iron Man. For instance, like, you know, you're the you're the most you're the smartest inventor in the world, Tony. It's like pack an extra battery. Yeah. 
yeah, between that and then and, uh, the Avengers where he's uh, constantly, you know, on standard, constantly beating over head. Oh, by the way, Iron Man doesn't let all his other teammates know who he is. Yeah. It's like, we get it, Stan. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> I, tell you, I always wanted to make a shirt that just said Thor and Iron Man are friends, and and if you've read a certain era of the Avengers, you know what that shirt means. Otherwise, it just you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I really enjoy this. Like I said, I'm a big fan of Bemular, so anytime uh, old Derp Face can show up, I'm. I'm <laughs> Derp Face. He, he does. I mean, his eyes kind of yeah. point in the wrong directions. Yeah. <laughs> An interesting thing about about uh, Bemular is that he ha- he can't use his hands. He's got vestigial hands like a Tyrannosaurus. Yeah, he's got uh, yeah T-Rex arms. And uh, and actually, he would keep those for a long, long time. It wasn't until um, the first Ultra Galaxy movie that he and he shows up at the. He's actually in Ultra Galaxy, the first Ultra Galaxy movie. He's the first monster to show up again, and it's the same setup where he's being chased. He's being chased by Ultraman Mabus, I believe. Yeah. And uh, and they end up fighting, and, and Mavis defeats him. But in that, he finally has hands he can use. And it's like, oh, look how far we've come in 40 years. We have hands. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed watching this one again. Just, uh, again, I love the premise. I, I love the monster. So, uh, great episode, I think. What, what did you think, Lomax? Oh, obviously, I love it. You know, it's, it's fun, and it's short. It's 30 minutes. It doesn't really waste a lot of time. It's pretty action-packed. And then we get in, you know, we set up the premise. A little comedy here and there, mm-hmm. um, and we get. I mean, for the thirty minutes, you think that we get you know a lot of bang for our buck. We got the planes flying around with little, little rocket jet engines. You get um, really a lot of action, explosions, you know, um, just everything in fit. And then uh, we kick it off with a monster fight. You know? Yeah, can't be. Done. And then we move on to the next episode. All right, take it away. Okay, so now we're on to the episode two, um, titled Shoot the Invader. Um, we open with uh, the team sitting around the uh, Space Patrol headquarters, um, doing everything, and we notice that uh, eBay has a black eye. And uh, this is the point of the show where uh, eBay and Fuji um, break the fourth wall and start talking to the kids at home. Um, oh, I'd like to know about my black eye. And then that's when we get to a flashback. So, cut to the flashback, and we have a comedic scene with uh, eBay and Arashi sleeping in bunk beds because apparently they're like, they're like seven year olds. <laughs> sleeping in, um, in the bunk bed, you have a, a latch in the bottom bunk and there's not either in the top and Ide can't sleep and he's there uh, counting sheep and uh, I got a kick out of it because he's counting sheep and then uh, in his uh, in his state, uh, the last sheep wouldn't jump over the fence and he's cursing them out. <laughs> so um, the alarm goes off and so they all hurry up and get dressed and go down um, to assemble. Um, apparently, um, they picked up a UFO on radar, and they have to go and investigate. So, we're getting around, and we get another little comic scene where, um, um, Mira, um, contacts, um, Arashi and tells him, you gotta go out to the, uh, science center and investigate. But, um, Arashi isn't wearing his shoes, he's just wearing his bed with us, so, they all have a laugh. Um, Ebay laughs at him, and then he stomps the Ebay's foot, right out of three stages dead, and then Ebay says, hop along. So now we're heading out to the science center with Arashi driving up. And of course, like I said, with the spider reference from Speed Racer, who um, sleeps in the back seat for the Toshino. Of course. So, of course. <laughs> so Hoshino and Arashi go out to the science center. Um, as he, um, Arashi enters the science center and investigates, he notices that uh, the, the, the front desk security guard is frozen in place. Or that as well as he can without uh, swinging in the wind. But, uh, so, um, upon further 
our investigation, although she walks around and discovers um, this weird alien that we're introduced to. He's a gray alien with yellow beady eyes and big lobster claws for hands. Um, so called oh, she goes to shoot at him, but um, it's a fake image. When he turns around, he is shot the beam and he is frozen in place. So, um, Hayata goes out to investigate with uh, some soldiers and they don't fare very well. Again, the, um, the alien um, does the same thing, with the soldiers. Um, Hayata tries shooting at him, but it doesn't work. And the one, uh, one thing I love about this alien is his laugh. His mm. laugh is his, probably his most famous attribute. Oh, yes. So then we cut to uh, Captain Mars sitting in a uh, meeting with the uh, head of the general that you've seen in all these movies. <laughs> where they're going over, and they're going over, okay, what do we do? And the generals are like, well, we need to attack. He's uh, on the ship, we need to attack with our nuclear weapon. And uh, Mars like, no, we need to communicate with this area. You know, so um, we should have probably called up Steven Spielberg and could have got like, the big white belt, like in the first encounter for the third time. <laughs> So, um, we cut back and we get uh, another scene. Apparently, they're going to have uh, probably the most dim-witted member of the crew, either is going to um, try and communicate with the alien. So, somehow, he knows space language. Yes. I don't know, but, um, but he's going to be the one that's going. So, uh, him and Hyatt go back to the building. They're going to go in and, uh, I think I'll listen to him, eBay, but uh, channel people in their shaggy, like I said before, and it's all nervous and twitchy, and doesn't want to go in, but after going. So he runs in, finds, uh, uh, finds the alien, and uh, the alien um, uses, uh, again, his uh, vanishing tricks. Because at this point, they thought, oh, well, he just just do the second image, and then all he did is shoot at the other image. But then he multiplies, like, three or four times. He doesn't know which one to shoot at. He starts freaking out, and then the alien sneaks up on him, takes him off the roof. So on the roof, we get uh, Arashi comes back, and we find out that the alien's got methylopathy, and it's at this point, where the alien reveals itself as uh, Baha, and it's this uh, alien race that comes from a uh, distant planet. The planet was destroyed, and they've been searching for a uh, galaxy for a new place to live. Um, they said that they're a uh, uh, ship that holds the Earth's gravity, and that's why they came to the center to try and repair the ship. But while on this planet, they decide they're going to live here peacefully. And at first, uh, I was like, okay, we can not live there. And then they realized that there's 60 billion aliens that are going to come here. You know, kind of a little overcrowded. Yes. So, um, they decide, well, we can't do that. And then they say, um, looking to put their inner independence and says, oh, we're just going to take over and make you all slaves. So, uh, at this point, um, I tried to throw out a, a weapon, a shuriken at it, and it just disappeared. And then reappeared as a giant monster. So, I had going to fight the monster, but it's got someone with big claw hands which knocks him unconscious into his um, beta capsule and ends up on the edge of the ceiling. This is when the military gets involved and decides we have to attack with their missiles. So they shoot their missiles at Balkan, but it's ineffective, okay. as usual. So Balkan starts flying around and blasting everything with his plotting. We cut back to um, Hayata, who's getting out that his um, beta capsule has fallen off the edge and is flying around the lower edge of the building that he can't reach. And this is when he decides to do something really, really crazy, and I really like this thing. He has to get his beta capsule, so he jumps off the roof of the building and grabs the beta capsule as he's falling and then transforms into Ultraman. I really love the tension. Yeah. And so this is when we get the requisite fight, where um, we have uh, 
which we'll call it uh, Ultraman and Falcon uh, uh, fighting each other. And uh, the one thing I realized I forgot to mention earlier is that in the middle of his speech, they asked him, well, why don't you go to Mars? Well, we don't like Mars, and that isn't going to specific why. But um, as they're fighting, um, Captain Mara realizes that the reason they don't like Mars is because um, their only weakness is uh, space, and how he figured that out, I have no idea how he jumped to that conclusion. But we get from point A to point B. And it just so happens it turns out that Ultraman, uh, biggest weapon, is the space in there. Yes. So, kind of our lucky coincidence there. So we're having our fight, and uh, we had an aerial battle, and it's okay. Um, it's kind of just uh, the model was just flying around. At one point, uh, Ultraman uh, grapples with um, Falcon and uh, breaks off one of his claws. And then uh, Ultraman lands, fires the space serum beam, and uh, Ultraman goes down in a flaming heat just breaks the ground. Then using his, uh, another one of his powers, apparently has some type of X-ray vision, discovers the invisible ship. Yes, the invisible ship and a family can just genocide someone 60 billion ball hunters <laughs> the ship. And so we're wrapping up our episode and we realize, hey, we didn't tell you how exactly eBay got his black eyes. So we cut back to that night after the battle. Um, EK is now asleep, and uh, Arashi can't sleep. And uh, EK rolls off his bed and puts his face off the floor. Um, and that's how our story ends. <laughs> do 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> play, play the goofy Star Trek music at the end of the episode. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, how it is. Um, again, this is one of my favorite monsters. I love all time because of his obnoxious laugh. Oh yes, I love that laugh. And um, and to be again, Bolton of, of all the monsters that that reappear, and there are several that are that are very popular that reappear. Bolton is far and away the most popular Ultra Monster. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, He's my favorite. first time I saw this episode, I'm like, oh, I love this guy. Yeah, and and interestingly, um, Bolton is almost always referred to as uh, Bolton Seijin, which mm-hmm. um, Seijin is the Japanese suffix for alien. So yes. despite the fact that Ultraman fights numerous aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost always you see it as, as spelled out as Bolton Sajin. And yeah, I believe, I believe they, uh, with the monsters, they uh, try to classify them between whether they're alien or those uh, monsters or whatnot. Yes. They do that, they do that in a lot of anime, you know, I know, and Kamikimon, uh, which is heavily, heavily influenced by Ultraman. Uh, there's a lot of that there. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, it's an important distinction, whether it's an alien or an Earth monster, you know, it's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I say in the opening that we have assembled the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. That's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but Bol- Bolton is—he's uh, got a great look because he's humanoid, but he's also insectoid at the same time. Yeah. But he, and uh, and and the splitting thing is—I mean, the, when he starts splitting into numerous copies in front of Ide, that's mm-hmm. almost uh, like Steve Ditko psychedelic. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I read that um, his name is, uh, I think, Ninja is mentioned, so he's using the Ninja, um, you see it all the time in the Ninja films, the, uh, the copying of the uh, mm-hmm. uh, steel from uh, Naruto, the Shadow Clone Jutsu, where he makes, you know, like, image copies of himself for, like, some abstraction or whatnot, mm-hmm. which is what I wrote, yeah, but yeah, the way, the way they do it, it's funny, because when they, when they show him uh, that, really, it's just that very, um, like you said, psychedelic image of him, I just kind of reminded me of him you know, walking from the one position to the other. I want to take a photo shot of that and put it on Abbey Road because that'd be hilarious. 
<laughs> depending on what somebody's taken when they see it, they get probably freaked out. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a million of them. <laughs> now, I noticed um, um, when I was um, just touring around YouTube that, um, that there was a 79 um, um, Ultraman film that was made, and uh, they used like, a lot of films, they used a lot of the episodes and put it come together. But they uh, actually um, did that thing. They actually added new battle footage from that scene. Oh. Uh, but, um, and uh, it was real nice. They actually added that. Uh, I forget at what point, but before um, um, he flies off and, and fights them, there, it's like an extra, it's like a little extra uh, scene. And you can tell because there's differences in the costumes. They don't really quite match up with the, uh, you know, the 56 version and then uh, some of the shot in 79. But they, little, they just extended the fight you know, to make it a little more dramatic, all right? Yeah, and, th- and this is a good candidate because, again, you've got a real popular monster, but the mm-hmm. fight is really nothing all that special in this episode because, like you oh. say, it's it's mostly in the air. So yeah, it's, 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 just, not really, it's not really all that dramatic. It's just spinning them all around for the most part. I mean, right. they grapple at one point for a little bit, but it doesn't really last long. Yeah. You know, kind of, you know, not a bad episode, but kind of an anticlimactic fight. Yeah, kind of after, after you've got this great introduction to Bolton, the yeah. fight itself is is kind of a letdown, and I think that's you know that's probably the reason for that. Um, it it is kind of an interesting fight that it's a fight at night, which yeah. we hadn't seen a lot of in in Daikaiju film at this point. Ironically, except in Godzilla Raids Again and Godzilla, which was in black and white, uh, yeah. but in color well, we hadn't really seen that. Well, in King Kong Escapes, I don't know if that came out before or after the that, film. King, yeah, King Kong Escapes was uh, was the, was 1967, so it was right after okay, this. So, yeah. yeah, right after. So it was just interesting from a, a lighting standpoint, seeing them light. Um, you know, you've got one bright character and one dark character fighting at nighttime. You know, so the lighting is very interesting in in the fight. I will say that. Yeah, and I, and I think that would work out well too. You've got those big, bright, beady yellow eyes. You know, yeah. really, I think would act like on the map of the character as well. Mm-hmm. The, the other lighting trick that's neat is when the Balten uses his uh, his paralysis ray. You get that real harsh red light. Yeah, or green too. And the green after they're after they're done. This is another kind of Subaraya trick. This would you don't see this so much in the Godzilla series, but you'd see this in kind of the mutant films like the H Man and the Human Vapor, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that kind of really kind of garish. Uh, lighting and I, I really like it. I love the green lighting when uh, um, Arashi walks into the science center and the guard is frozen green. I really love that. Yeah. Um, another thing about this episode, it's really introduces uh, more of the humor of the series. And I'll be mm-hmm. flesh out ideas you know, where um, you know, as a uh, bumbling fool and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm more of a humor. But I mean, that's another thing with, uh, I like about the series. It doesn't you know, this series specifically doesn't take itself that that seriously. Yeah. I mean, at times, you know, but, but I mean, it's it, you know, it's a good show. I may have fun. Yeah. And uh, there's going to be some more episodes coming up that I really enjoy that really take that to a whole other level. Well, you know, it's it's for every um, you know for every uh, episode like uh, Earth is My Home with mm-hmm. with Jamira that's very serious. And, and and you know, then you get an episode like Ruffian from Outer Space with Guyango, you know, which is just, just yeah. comedy the entire time. Mm-hmm. And when, and the thing about the comedy in this one is, yes, we do get the comedy from Ide, but there's actually some really good comedy from Hashino in this as well, because when they go to the science center, uh, Arashi says it's too dangerous, stay in the car. He goes communicate with headquarters, and so by the time Hayata shows up, 
uh, Hoshino has a great line. He goes, HQ lady is noisy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, every 30 seconds, she's asking for an update. He goes, I'm not broadcasting a horse race. <laughs> yeah, so he starts broadcasting it, and she goes back. It's like, I don't need an update like that. This isn't a horse race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and so that, and again, it's, it's, it, it's putting, if you're going to have the kid character in there, you know, this, it's better to me to make him kind of relief like that as opposed to a character like, uh, you know, like Kenny, you know, from, from Gamera, who just, you know, every time he does something, he puts human lives in jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> Hoshino is, is used to better effect here. And actually, Hoshino is, the whole, the whole concept of the kid hanging out with them is, is a kind of a ridiculous cliche, but overall, he's generally handled pretty well. Because they don't let him make command decisions, you know. They, they, yeah. He's kind of he's you know him and Ide get to be the comic relief characters, and that that's a better role. It'd be like if uh, Jimmy Olsen was playing Superman with the how to beat Lex Luthor schemes. <laughs> I would actually like to see that though. You know, well, I, I really don't mind as much Tony Hughes, Johnny Quest film. Yes. I love him, and, and that's another thing I love about this series. You know, especially with Aaron and whatnot. I love that. You know, that whole uh, science adventure. I mean, that was real big. I mean, you look at everything like you know, pop culture, you know, that space race going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, and especially on this, you know, uh, a lot of these uh, Japanese shows and whatnot, especially this show, you know, it's a lot of American influence. Like, I think we forget how much influence on, on the Japanese pop culture we have. Yeah. Uh, because they've watched a lot of uh, these movies and whatnot. I mean, if you talk about all of these um, actors, I can't remember if it was Subaru or Honda. But one of them says on their favorite movie, I mean, with King Kong, which pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, started the whole, you know, um, the kaiju movement in Japan because I loved that movie. Oh, yeah, I mean, the, the post-war period in, in Japan, mm-hmm. and, and we've talked about this on the show before, it mm-hmm. opened up uh, the market to uh, Western film and, and other, you know, and Western uh, literature and other things that just simply hadn't been over there. Right. And, and it, you know, and um, so... It, it's interesting because we always, in this country, and especially being uh, tokusatsu fanboys, because you always, whether you want to or not, you get lumped in with the anime fanboys, you know? You get lumped in with the other otaku. Yeah. And there's so many American otaku who are complete, you know, Asia-files mm-hmm. that, you know, just love anything about Japan. They, 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 they hate the taste of Pocky, but they're going to keep eating it, damn it, you know? <laughs> And uh, and and if it's something from Japan, it must be cool and all this other stuff. And and you get to the point of like, wow, you know, it's are we really all just just um, copying everything they do. But then you turn it around and you look at all the stuff in Japan that the the otaku in Japan are copying from the West. Yeah. And it, well, I look, I look at it as a big pop culture cycle. You know, our pop culture influenced them, you know, the yep. 50s, and then that stuff influenced a lot of guys today. You know that. Uh, uh, I mean, look at that piano that Paul is going to be like, can't wait for Pacific Rim, which is the, you know, the Daikaiju, the giant robot, you know, things that was all influenced by, like, you know, American and European and Western uh, science fiction. Yeah. So it's all just one big cycle, all exactly. seasons each other. And, and that's why, um, uh, an associate of mine on, online, uh, the Irredeemable Shag, is a huge Doctor Who fan, and, I, and I've talked about him with this too, about the Doctor Who Ultraman connection. I said, these are two shows that developed completely independent of each other from two, from opposite ends of the planet that have followed such a similar trajectory of highs and lows over over the course of the you know 40, uh, 40 plus years that they've been a property. 
and said it, it's it just goes to show it exactly to your point that everything is connected and everything influences each other um, you know when they're contemporaries to each other and it's it's fascinating to really sit down and look at the details of this kind of stuff you know because on the surface you say oh, there's nothing similar about those you know but other than they're both TV shows but then even beyond the just the the broad uh, things that are similar just things start lining up you know and um, and you know it's it's food for thought you know uh, are you suggesting that uh, the next companion for uh, Dr. Who should be the science patrol uh, no but I, I have tried to think of how you could cross them over and the best one I've come up with is a, like a Balton invasion of earth okay. and you see so the doctor runs across the Baltans you know, mm-hmm. and and so he's trying to deal with them on a human level, but it's like when they grow giant, you know, there's nothing much you can do with that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that or the Cybermen have to build like a giant robot. Mm-hmm. I just want to see the Daleks get blasted by a space <laughs> I don't think. You know, I, I I understand the Daleks are supposed to be you know big bad pepper pots from hell and all that. I'll take Ultraman over a Dalek any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, I just want I just want to see him get lined up and just get mowed down. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, you know, um, interesting element of this show that will continue for most of the run. We we see it really well here, is mm-hmm. that Hayata, because he has to go turn into Ultraman, is kind of a blank slate of a character. Yeah, there's there's really not much to him. Um, you know, the Captain and Fuji and especially Arashi and Ide, they're very well defined broad characters that get a lot of character bits. Hayata. You know, um, like when Ide's doing his bit about talking in the monster language, Hayata just shoots him down and says, time to go. Yeah. You know, he doesn't even play straight man like Arashi would. He just, <laughs> he says, like, we got we got a plot point to get to, Ide. We yeah. Gotta, we got to keep moving here. Well, he's heavily based on Clark Kent, too. You know, the whole, you know, Clark Kent, Superman dynamic, you know, secret identity. They got heavily in it. These early episodes, um, they usually at the end of really good books. I know, especially in the first episode. Although he does, he does get to act a little crazy. You mentioned it, the, his swan dive off the building. Oh, I love that! It's like he's got to make a decision. It's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta change. No, I gotta take this chance. No, I gotta jump off, and you know, if I miss, well, I guess that's the end of the Yeah, and uh, it's. And I love that pan down because we see him reaching and thinking, oh, it must be on a ledge. And mm-hmm. it just keeps panning and panning and panning. And it's yeah. like, wow. <laughs> yeah, like last second he grabs and pushes the button. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things I like. I've noticed by watching a lot of clips and whatnot from it. They try to do like interesting ways to, uh, you know, do that dimension and whatnot, trying to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going in buildings where Ultraman just busts out of a building and whatnot. And that's just cool. Yeah. And and I always I'm always been a fan, and I think any 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 uh, Tokusatsu fan worth his salt loves the little uh, you know three frame bit of yeah, of Ultraman growing giant. And, oh yeah. And what's interesting to me is that that the, one of the places I think that was best reproduced was in the Ultraman video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would start you'd start each stage and it would do it and go. And he'd grow. Yeah, I really like that because even on like the Game Boy one, it looks pretty neat because it's like, yeah, okay, that's the way it did look. He did stop a couple of times up there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's like kind of I want a T-shirt with that image on. That would be awesome. That would be that would be good. Yeah. 
and uh, you know what? I, I just a, a note that I, I forgot about this. You know, Bolton says I think in the sub he says there's 2.3 billion, and then the dub he says there's 60 billion, like you said, yeah. Bolton's. Yeah. And um, he said that they they shrunk down to the size of bacteria so they could fit on the ship. And that's at first you think okay, it's just a throwaway line to explain why there's billions of people on this one ship, right? Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking about it, it's like you know then he grows giant. Clearly the Boltons can control their size. You know, it reminded me of an old Twilight Zone episode. Um, no, it was it Ironic? I can't remember which show. It was the twenty fifth. But uh, it's about um, a guy that uh, travels, I think, through time. Mm-hmm. It turns out he's got the glass hand, and it, uh, at the end of the episode, it turns out that he's actually a cyborg, and that um, all the entire population was turned into like electrons, and they're running through the circuit with uh, his glass hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen that episode? Yes, that's Demon with a Glass Hand, written. Yeah, Demon with a Glass Hand. That's the first thing I thought of when yeah. I said that. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so. Uh, you know, the, the idea that they can shrink themselves down to the size of bacteria, it only makes sense that they'd be able to enlarge themselves to the size of a daikaiju. Yeah. And uh, and the other thing, of course, there there's literally billions of Baltans, which really goes a long way to explaining why they keep showing up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're, if you think about it, they're insects, you know. You have, you know, we would think about insect populations and whatnot. They just mass produce, mass produce, mass produce. So, I mean, it makes sense that it would be like, you know, they're so you got a whole oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, and so they're just and Bolton's just such a great, just such a great bad guy. It's such a foil too, because mm-hmm. he's got that kind of deep baritone voice, and uh, you know which again Ultraman never speaks other than to say schwash, yeah, and, uh, and his laugh, like you said, that obnoxious. Rrr, 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 it's like yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> want to throttle him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, uh, yeah, so I, I always, you know, um, Red King is, is another real popular monster, you know, Zeton, uh, mm-hmm. everybody likes, but really, at the end of the day, Balton is, and again, another strange coincidence with Doctor Who. Balton shows up in the second episode of Ultraman, the Daleks show up in the second story in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't get much more bizarre than that, I don't think. Strange mm-hmm. coincidence. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, 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 I dug this episode. You can't. You gotta love the Baltons, and I love all the stuff with the Balton being human-sized in the science center. Mm-hmm. Just that whole sequence—the first one with Arashi, and then the second one with um, with Ide. I just, I love all that stuff. I, I like that we get. It's not just Ultraman fighting a giant monster. We get the interactions with the monsters on a different level, and the other yeah. characters get a chance to shine. You know. Um, do you have any any other thoughts on this one? Uh, I was just going to say, um, looking back on it now, I mean, and when you think about, um, you know, following with um, um, Captain um, Muramasa, because when he's sitting there with the generals, and what, it also shows that they're uh, very scientific. They're not just like, all right, we got to go and, like, you know, take a draft. They're like, no, we got to try and talk to it and see what it is. And, you know, that's how it is. And then they realize that they've only got to stop it. But, uh, yeah, so, um, so I kind of like that uh, angle on it, too, because, I mean, they are a science team, you know, and they're going to adventure, they're going to explore, they're going to try, you know, find out strange new life, strange civilizations, all that. <laughs> there was some other show in the 60s, it's something similar to that one there, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it was kind of popular. Yeah. I yeah, know, I think. You know, I, I think Scott and Chris may have mentioned it once or twice, I don't, I don't. Yeah. You know, but anyway. 
uh, and uh, okay, like as we said, um, Ultraman is available on uh, on DVD. You can order it. Uh, I think it's still available on Amazon. The Mill Creek set. Cheap. It, yes, it is. I think I got mine for like ten bucks. Yeah, I got mine for under. I'm pretty sure about that or under ten. I mean, it is it is worth every penny. Yeah, it's it's a bare bone set, but there's really that's something you get with a lot of with these older shows. You know, there there's not a lot of quote unquote bonus material to put on there. But just, mm-hmm. you know, having all 39 episodes either subbed or dubbed you, mm-hmm. for 10 bucks, you can't beat that. No. No. And uh, so go ahead, uh, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com, click through the Amazon.com link, and pick that up. And um, we mentioned earlier, uh, the follow-up to this series, Ultra 7, is being released on DVD here in the United States. And, and uh, what's funny is, I saw this on... Um, Toku Nation, which is a good uh, tokusatsu uh, message board. I saw the news, and the first thing I did was I went over to Forum for Geeks to put it on the thread, and you had beat me to it. It's funny because it was that same time you sent me the message uh, when I was looking for Ultra 7, you sent me to the, to the sub site, and I went there, and they said they're taking it down because uh, the, the release came, so I immediately ran over to Amazon, saw it, put it down there, and then yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. Mm. I was when I saw that. Oh, yeah. And I have heard some rumbling. We'll have to go check that. So I read the August Pagani, who's a big, big, um, um, and so I focus on that and whatnot. And, uh, according to his blog, he's saying that there might be some, uh, decent special features on it, kind of like, uh, special features that, uh, media blasters put on the Godzilla stuff, like having, you know, experts, you know, I'm also going to have commentary, but they might have, like, feature rights and stuff with, like, experts talking about the series and whatnot, which I'm really, really hoping that Oh, that that is a that, you know what's another really good um, Media Blasters uh, Toho DVD is Varan, and mm-hmm. uh, and Varan thing Varan is an interesting movie because it's it's not bad, but when you look at it in the context of when it was released, it's kind of it's kind of basic, you know, because Varan was released after Rodan. And right. yet, it's it's in black and white. It's not nearly as as uh, dynamic as Rodan is, but the special features on that disc are really really good. And there's a whole sequence in there again about um, making the Varan suit, and especially how they made his spines and stuff. It's just fascinating <laughs> stuff. You know, you never you know you you know you think oh it's made out of rubber. It's like well you got to have more than that. You know you got to make something that that emulates other parts other than just skin you know there's another great one um another one that has amazing special features is the uh rodan or the gargantua feature set because on that one they have a full japanese feature that was shot that um they uh, bring the uh three suit actors from the three different areas you have uh, back to Gino from uh the showa era I can't remember the two actors made from the Hentai era, and then you have the guy from the uh, Millennium era, right. and they um, talk to them. And then there's a, um, another one, I think, that's on I think it's on that, where they um, show how they did uh, an, um, a special effect, uh, the old uh, underwater volcano, I want to think it's about some latitude zero. Mm-hmm. They show how they did that effect, where they took the, the fish tank, and they uh, poured um, paint in it, and that's what creates the cloud um, group of the... Uh, volcano coming out of the water because when you flip that image upside down it looks like a cloud coming up I was yep. amazed by it and it's a simple practical effect and oh, it yeah. looks amazing 
And you can't, you know, with CGI, you just can't get that kind of organic movement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, we're, we're really tangenting now, but i got to say this. Yeah. I want to talk about another, again, another Media Blasters disc that had some good stuff. was Matango. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matango, um, those of you who uh, m- might be more aware of this film under its name, Attack of the Mushroom People, uh, Matango is a film about about a deadly fungus, and it's not nearly as ridiculous as its American title would lead you to believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are several scenes in Matango where we see uh, these mushrooms just rapidly, rapidly growing. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the way that they did that was... In uh, Matango was, I want to say, 60, I'm going to get this wrong, 68, I want to say, that styrofoam was just starting to be used in industrial purposes. And one of the filmmakers got in touch with a guy, and it was a two-part styrofoam where you had a, you know, a part A and a part B, and when you added the two together, they would rapidly expand out. And so what they did was they put the, the one part of the compound in like a, uh, like a ring mold, like a little cup. And then they'd add the other part and start filming. And the thing is, it would expand, but then when it got to the top of the cup, it would mushroom out. It looked like a mushroom cap. And so it would just keep expanding. The styrofoam would expand up and form this, you know, it looked like a mushroom that was just rapidly growing. And I saw that, and, and you just slap yourself in the head. You're like, that's brilliant. What? <laughs> and it looks perfect. So... It's just using what you have, you know. And using simple practical effects. Yep, using what you have, and you know, and that gets us right back to Ultraman because Subaraya had, he had the, you know, he had his suits, he had his lot to shoot on, he had, uh, you know, his props and stuff, and if they could reuse something, they would, but they would, they would make something creative out of it, and uh, or they would just bring back the monster again. Bolton shows up at least, I think, two more times in in this series, doesn't he? Yeah. So you know, and again, if if you're a Tokusatsu fan and if you're listening to this show, you at least have to have some passing interest in Tokusatsu. And if you don't, I applaud you. Um, and then one last point that came to me about this show, another thing that Sue Lai was overseeing it, but a lot of the people that worked on the show, the camera operators, a lot of the editors, a lot that worked on it. They were all young guys, and they're doing a lot of uh, experimental, you know, um, filmmaking and stuff with it. I mean, these weren't, you know, all of that. It was pretty much it was, um, and you had, uh, uh, Subaraya, and then you had a few, but, um, it was mostly a very young crew that worked on the right. show. And then a lot of those guys were going to go on. They did a lot of the, um, I know a lot of those guys go on for other series that come together and Super Tempire and Metal Heroes and whatnot. Yeah, a lot of the, well, and uh, a lot of these guys, these were, the younger guys would work on the TV shows, the Super Riot TV shows, and the older crew was working on the features. And you yeah. can see that as the older guys retired or moved on, the uh, the younger guys would step up into those roles. Um, it, it's, it's very, it was very hierarchical, but what it, you know, it, it but it makes sense, you know, it's uh, the, um, the schedule and the reward are much more, the schedule is much more demanding, and the reward is much less at the TV level. But uh, that's where you got to cut your teeth, you know. And um, you, but you'd, you'd see this also, like with Fukuda. Fukuda was a he was he directed TV shows for uh, Toho before he stepped into the feature roles, you know. And, and Fukuda was uh, very successful. I I, I think I, I like most of his films. I love Smart Monster. Well, Smog Monster was Yoshimitsu Bano. Oh, was it? Was it? I thought it was Fukuda. Okay. Yeah, Fukuda, Fukuda was brought in primarily because of, of Smog Monster. And I, and I love Smog Monster, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, um, Bono um, would do... 
he would do Smog Monster, and he would direct one other film, which was uh, Prophecies of Nostradamus. And and if you you know, and he it's so Prophecies of Nostradamus is so the same type of movie as Smog Monster, just so um, just what I you know like mobilized uh, environmentalist type movie. Yeah, that that was big in um, Japan at that time. Oh yeah, so I, mean, say, I mean, look at the Kyoto Protocols and whatnot. Oh yeah, and and, and what's everything. Well, I mean, even every, I mean, the the obvious one is Smog Monster, but uh, no, Godzilla versus Gigan, which is right after it, has the same premise. It's yeah, I just, just not nearly doesn't beat you over the head with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just watched an episode of uh, Gotcha Man from the seventies, and it was uh, a whole city that was uh, destroyed by pollution, and then uh, they again very much like Smog Monster. They had they call it Jellyfish Land, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of funny because it's a pollution monster, but it's powered by it's, it's solar powered. <laughs> I get you that it's this giant uh, monster that has like it's like this giant black piece with multiple eyes but they realize that uh, it's powered by the sun to shoot its beam so it's like huh <laughs> well well then <laughs> yeah <laughs> hmm. oh well well uh, okay <laughs> sun powered jellyfish monsters thank you monster, yeah. oh, thank you thank you Japan yeah uh, all right. Well, I mean, um, uh, so Lomax, you have uh, anything you want to hype or anything you want to plug uh, that you're working on online or you got going on? Um, come to the forums. You know, post on the uh, two free forums. Um, I'm always there. Uh, uh, I want to thank you for um, the War Comics Month. I want to hype that a little bit. I'm enjoying that. Oh. Um, I just posted today. I don't know if you've seen my post. Um, but, uh, uh, like, again, like I haven't read a lot of War Comics. But it's weird because when I talked to my father about comics, you know, he, he brought up when he was a kid, he read a lot of real war comics, you know, uh, GI Combat and Sergeant Rock and whatnot, mm-hmm. and then talked about that for a little bit, which is interesting, you know? Yeah. And uh, I was actually out in my shed, I found an old issue of uh, Sergeant Rock, and it was beyond belief, it was just destroyed, you know? But I mean, I was like, oh, that's cool, but, yeah. you know, what the world wasn't like, you know, water damage. I'm looking at that and I'm like, Oh, that sucks. It's, it's like fifty to hundred bucks I get on the drain. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the, but, uh, but I am enjoying it. I haven't read a lot of war comics, but you know, um, especially you know, Fallout War and military films I grew up on. Yeah. But, um, you know, cause my grand, I was my grandfather, my grandparents, but my grandfather only the life that was so. Um, he, he was in World War Two. I think, and I um, grew up in, in the military unit, you know. And they would go into these German, you know, these French and German towns, and they would blow off like the church steeples and uh, which we call it, take out snipers. So my grandfather just loved war movies, so I grew up on it. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I appreciated that thread. Oh yeah, so and um, and and what's interesting is that I do have to give um, a little bit of a of a shout out to um, uh, Andrew Leyland over from Hey Kids Comics. Because um, Andrew and and Michael did a, they were doing a spotlight episode on Garth Ennis, and they talked about Garth Ennis's war stories, mm-hmm. and um, and Andy just kind of made an offhand remark about that he was much more familiar with British war comics than he was uh, American war comics, just because you know he didn't obviously they didn't uh, have American war comics in the UK growing up. He goes, he goes, so I he goes, so I can't speak to the American war comics. He goes, but I think Luke Jack and Eddie might be able to say something more about that. Yeah. So uh, I wrote him this nice email about different American war comics, and and he got back. He's like, "Oh, that was a great email. That's exactly what I was looking for." And so, so I was thinking about him, and then I was just struck with inspiration. And and you know, just for for those who may not have seen it for the month of November, 
uh, in honor of Veterans Day here in the U.S., I've been reading about um, different war comics and just using the hashtag War Comics Month on Twitter and, and Google Plus and just anything, uh, you know, any one thing anybody sends me, just been sharing it out there just to, you know, pay honor to our uh, men and women uh, in uniform who, who serve our country. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. And I, that, I did see your post. That's a great story about finding that, that issue of Sergeant Rock. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the thing about war comics is they're, they're usually not super expensive, but they're mm-hmm. hard to find because they didn't have uh, as big a print runs as their uh, their superhero uh, brethren. Yeah. But there's not a huge demand. So if you find them, they're usually decently priced, you know. Yeah. Usually you get the, you go to a, a con and there'll be, you know, um, a big dealer like, uh, like Heroes and Dragons is a giant comic shop down in Columbia, South Carolina that is at every mm-hmm. show in the, in the southeast. And you'll go yeah. and they'll have, you know, table after table after table of their alphabetized superhero comics. And then uh, one long box just says, War Comics. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm that guy. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just want to put out, um, come follow me on Twitter. It's uh, one more events. Um, I only have four followers right now, so I'm kind of putting out the call, you know. <laughs> if, you, if I get more followers, I'm going to be posting more. I'm going to be working on that, you know, all the crazy stuff I'm going to do and all the crazy fun that I have. Um, go out and like, um, that Kaiju and, uh, Mokusaku and, uh, anime DVD because, um, well, we need the Maverick. We buy, like I said, if we all bought, go out and buy, um, people Ultraman 7, that's going to create a demand. So that's our Ultra 7. Who knows? We can get Jack, we can get, um, Ace, Carl, um, um, Mary No Curry. I want all those series. <laughs> Ultra Stooges, I want that name. Ultra Stooges. Ultra Stooges. <laughs> this one really big Stooge slap across a series of Baltons. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ultraman, well. yeah, when it's attacked, he puts out his fist, they hit it, and it comes around <laughs> on top of the head. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, uh, Lomax, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. I really, uh, really appreciate uh, you coming on and talking Ultraman with me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I had a blast. I, you know, I want to do this with someone, um, you know, tell someone about doing a podcast on my own. Um, so, like, I don't want to keep that hush hush right now. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Okay. But, uh, you know, the fact that, I, you know, I'm ready for my first podcast, and uh, I had a blast. Uh, it was awesome. And, you know, talking about something that I like. I'm glad you're covering this. I mean, I love the future safety stuff, but I can't really talk comics. I'm more casual. Like, I'm trying to get into it, like, more and more deeper, but, like, I just don't have, I didn't grow up with the experience with it, but, you know, I've grown up now, I do and whatnot, I mean, pretty much, I like, grew up with it, so I, you know, know this stuff, you know, I grew up watching it, and I have a, you know, deep, you know, childhood appreciation of it, and then as I got older, growing more and more, and, like I said, getting into that old, you know, 70s anime and whatnot, which is completely ridiculous, and I love it, it's got the same feel as, you know, like, Coco Foster, so it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go out and do that. Go see Pacific Rim when it comes out, yeah. you know, and go see Godzilla in uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll be good. Yeah. I actually got, uh, what's his name, Gareth Edwards, is the director. I got his movie Monsters, mm-hmm. which uh, I was a Mexican film about giant spiders. Yes. So, um, I, I have it. I gotta go down to watch it. It's like, like my, it's my collection. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much, I've amassed it, and now I have to sit down and watch it. Yes. So, I'm um, my way through. Oh, my God. My goodness, Earth. yes. <laughs> yes, Ultraman and the Yokai films and all that stuff. Yeah, right. Right now, the ones I'm sitting on are the Daimajin. Um, yes, I have those too. Yeah, I, I watched, I I watched the the first one with my my buddy Joe. Joe is like the the perfect guy. 
to watch uh, the Daimajin movies with because he loves Daikaiju and he loves Samurais. Uh, so it's like that's just that's Daimajin in a in a nutshell right there, man. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, dude, I, I enjoyed having you on. We will definitely do this again. We'll uh, cover a couple more episodes, uh, uh, get a few more monsters, um, uh, <laughs> a few more. Hey, anytime, anytime, man. I'm game. You put, you know, uh, give me a call. You know, and I want to apologize to for kind of the delay. You know, Luke and I were kind of dismissing each other with our, with our times and whatnot. So you know, we not work and then. Oh, then I disappeared for a while because uh, my work went went crazy and. Uh, um, I, w- I took my uh, my professional engineer's test uh, the last Friday in October, and um, so I was just studying like a madman for that. Oh yeah, yeah. And and here here's the real kicker: you don't get your you take the test in like it's at the end of October. You then have to wait eight weeks to get your results. So you don't get your results about whether you passed or failed until Christmas. Mm-hmm. I like that. And it's like, oh, I just, I'm so I I keep checking the site and it keeps saying no results available. And like, uh, stop logging in, Luke. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like what you know. The only thing I think would be more nerve-wracking is like an STD test waiting for that to come in. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> well, we, we've 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 moved from solar-powered uh, alien jellyfish to STD fish. testing in the span of ten minutes. So. Like I said, that's uh, the Monza Core Proof podcasting right there for you. You know it. You know it. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Lomax, and uh, appreciate you coming on. And we'll have, definitely have you back on again. Okay. Thank you. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Gardener podcast. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For Guy Gardner podcasts. There's always some new site. For Guy Gardner podcasts. I browse all day and night. For Guy Gardner podcasts. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For Guy Gardner podcasts. The internet is for Guy Gardner podcasts. The internet is for and sometimes Kyle Rayner podcasts. Why you think the net was born? Guy Gardner Podcasts. Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bringing you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. I'll also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website justoneofthegues.lips.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Internet is for internet is for internet is for just one of the guys dot com. Yeah. 
just one of the guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography. And we're back. I'd like to thank Mr. Lomax once again for being on the show, and uh, if you folks like it, let me know, and uh, we'll have him back on. We'll talk some more Ultraman. Speaking of listener feedback, we mailbag is still empty, folks, so no emails today. If you want to hear your name on the show, uh, you want some feedback, you want to tell me what you like, what you didn't like about the show, please send email to earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com, and I will read your email on the show as well as respond to you. So uh, if you uh, enjoy the show, please let me know, because this is a labor of love, as any podcaster will tell you, and getting feedback from the audience is pretty much the only reward we get, because... You know, frankly, none of us are uh, making any money off of this, much to our collective spouse's um, chagrin. And that's not really the word I'm looking for. It's something more harsh and mean-spirited than chagrin. Anyway, what are we looking at next time? Well, it's been a while since we've done a Hesai film, so we're going to care pick those up again. And next in line for the Hesai films is 1991's Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, considered for a long time to be the Plus Ultra of the... Uh, Hesai Films, this uh, reintroduced King Ghidorah for the modern audiences and uh, gave us our first look at the King of Terror with the uh, modern uh, special effects team at Toho handling it. This is, uh, it used to be on Crackle.com, I don't believe it is anymore. I know you can uh, find this on Netflix, I don't know about Watch Instant, but there's enough copies of this movie floating around that if you're interested in watching it, you certainly can find a copy. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun, I think, so I'm going to try and get that one out a little bit more timely than this one. I apologize for the delay. Part of it was getting lined up with Mr. Lomax because he'd be free and then I wouldn't and then I'd be free and he wouldn't. But also, uh, as I alluded to, the uh, taking my PE exam ate up a lot of my time as well as work commitments and family commitments. So, uh, sorry about the delay, like I said, but hopefully this episode... Uh, with our discussion about Ultraman more than made up for it. So, come on back next time. We're going to be talking about Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, and until then, keep them stomping. Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, hosted and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, and presented by the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. All characters, stories, images, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a fan work designed to honor the rich history of Japanese giant monster movies and culture. The opinions expressed on Earth Destruction Directive are my own, and I receive no money for this work. You can send feedback to our email address, earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. All feedback is welcome, and if you send it an email, I will respond to you on the show. Alternately, you can leave a comment at the home of Earth Destruction Directive on the Internet, earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. You can also check out the Two True Freaks Forum, at www.forum4geeks.com and you can find me on Twitter with the handle Eljacone that's L-J-A-C-O-N-E and be sure to head to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com to check out all the other fine quality Two True Freaks podcasts available 
Thanks for listening, and come back next time for more Earth Destruction Directive. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. He fights the monsters, he's big and silver and red. Dun 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 dun. Dun 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 dun